Psalm number 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offerings and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come, in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointment altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame, who say to me, Ah, ah. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Amen. Um, if you'd open your Bibles to Psalm 40, and keep them open there. And before we begin tonight, let me just pray really quickly for us. Heavenly Father, we, we ask you to incline our hearts tonight to hear your words. Perhaps we don't necessarily feel like it tonight, but would you open our eyes and our ears so that we might understand what you have to say? Lord, would you satisfy our hungry, our needy souls tonight with your gospel. And pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 40. David begins this psalm in what he calls the pit. He's crying to the Lord from what he calls in verse 2, this pit of destruction, this miry bog. David is he's painting this vivid picture for us to describe the situation. It's like he's sinking in this bog of, of thick tar that stops all his limbs from moving, and it's rising past his shoulders, it's above his neck, it's overwhelming him. Now what he means by this, this pit of destruction, 
I don't think is specified. Is he speaking of, an, of a struggle, of an addiction with sin? Is it a struggle with illness? Is it some kind of emotional distress? Does someone he love, are they ill? Or is it because of his enemies? Are the people around him causing him to suffer? Are his relationships really difficult? Are they crumbling around, around him? We don't know specifically. And that's okay, I think, because this might well apply to all the above situation, situations. Perhaps this pit, perhaps that's a good description of what you've felt or what you've experienced in the past. Or perhaps you're experiencing it now. Now, this psalm is not about how to get out of the pit. It's true that, it's true that David does for a while, as we'll see. But what we see in this psalm most clearly is what gives David hope in the pit. We see his thought process. We see what gives him confidence amidst the turmoil. And it's two things, really. Firstly, David looks back at the times God has delivered him before, and he trusts him to do it again, knowing that he can and that he has. David remembers the ways in which and the times in which God's providence smiled upon him and his burdens and his worries and his pains, they were lifted off and he was delivered. And so he depends on him, first of all. But secondly, and most importantly, David looks to God and remembers his promises and his character. He elevates his eyes to God amidst the pit. And as we do so tonight, our minds will be filled with the greatest act of deliverance the Lord has ever performed for anyone, which is the death and resurrection of his son that brings redemption and forgiveness of sin for all. And so it's about holding those two truths in balance, knowing that God can deliver us from the pit, but also, this is the key, knowing that God has delivered us in the pit. And as we explore how David deals with this situation in light of those truths, we'll find that, like David, when we consider them properly, we will with him say, verse 16, May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. That's David's response to God's deliverance. When he looks at the circumstances presently in his life, whatever they may be, when he meditates upon God and his character, all he can say is, Great is the Lord. So hopefully tonight we'll be able to see how even amidst the deepest turmoil, that phrase will just fall out of our lips. It will overflow from our hearts. And we'll do so tonight in just three points. You'll find them on your service sheets. Um, we'll have a look at the first one first. Our dependence on the Lord is because he has delivered us in the past. Let me read verses two to five again. Follow along with me. You drew me up. Out from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who, who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. 
I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Here we see David's experience of the the Lord's real life deliverance. David describes it as if this hand had grabbed him while he was in this mucky, thick bog and pulled him out and put him on solid ground. He can now breathe again. He can move freely now. And so David sings. There's a new song in his mouth and he praises the Lord. He has renewed strength and energy. He feels better emotionally. The situation got better. He was healed. Maybe he overcame that sin or whatever it might have been. Perhaps you can relate to that. You know how this is. You've been in desperate circumstances. You've asked for God's help. And he has delivered you. And that is completely true. It happens. However, we need to be careful. It's tricky, this. Because we're wading tonight partially into the sea that is God's providence. And for us creatures, those waters, they're very murky. Because the Lord, in his wisdom, will not always deliver us in the ways that we pray for, in the ways that we want. His answer is not always yes. But at the same time, we must remember that if God did not want us to have something, we would not have it. He is intimately involved in the goings-on of this world and in our lives. And so sometimes, his answer to our earthly problems is positive. Perhaps the easiest example of this to give is if you or a close family member becomes ill and you plead with the Lord for healing and suddenly one day the agony, the frustration, the pain, it's, it's gone. The medicine works, the surgery goes well, the recovery is excellent. What do you do? What's your response? Often I think our immediate response is to Thank the doctor and be on our way. God is nowhere to be seen or heard. However, if we have a correct understanding of the Lord's sovereignty and his providence, like David does, our first port of call would be to do what David does, which is to sing his praises. It's like you have a new song to sing, Great is the Lord. You've experienced the Lord's blessing in a special way. Surely you trust him more now. Surely you depend on him more now. I've just finished uh, reading John Flavel's book, The Mystery of Providence, and he says something quite true in that book, something that we all know, but I'd never heard it put it this way. I'll, I'll summarize it for us. He says that for a man to trust God and to put his faith in him without any experience of his blessing or any knowledge of his providence... Well, that would be a great act of faith, indeed. But none of us can say we are that man. So don't be so quick to say, oh, I can't think of a deliverance thing like that in my life. Well, all of us have a strong, infallible reason to trust God anyways, let alone when we can see a clear act of deliverance occurred. In fact, our trust should double. Our hearts should overflow, and a new song should be sung. We trust him more. We depend on him even more. Well, maybe this said deliverance of the Lord happened a long time time ago for you. Maybe you can think of it. You perhaps overcame grief, or you received a new dose of energy out of nowhere. You were able to endure. Or maybe a relationship in your life was restored. Or a difficult situation was resolved. Well, don't be so quick to forget it. 
Look at what David says in verse 4. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go away astray after a lie. David knows, God knows how fickle our hearts are, how quickly do we forget, and we depend upon a thousand things before God. Even after having been recipients of great joy and great blessing and deliverance from hard times. And this is a challenge for us because, yes, you might need financial help. Yes, you might need emotional support from your spouse or your friends, or you need medical help. Those are legitimate needs. But when you find yourself in the pit, who do you cry out to first of all? What do you run to? Where do you go? Is it more money? Is it other people? Is it yourself? No, it's on his deliverance that we must depend. Remembering the past, remembering that there's nothing that you could have had or have that is not with God's control. Your money could be gone, your relationships could be gone, he could take your health. All those things can't deliver you in themselves, they're not the answer because sooner or later you will, like David, find yourself in the pit again. Have a look down at verse 12. He says, For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. David is in the pit again. And he's asking for God's deliverance again. This time, it seems like David's troubles are of his own sinful making. He talks about how this, this wall of iniquities has meant that he's lost, he's blind, he can't see. He has no idea where to go or what direction to take. And not only that, but the people around him, they see this and they're mocking him, they're against him. We read that in verses 14 and 15. But look at how David's confidence is unshakable. He knows the Lord. He knows that the Lord and only the Lord is capable of delivering him again. Before he even begins this description of his second experience in the pit, he says in verse 11, As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. The Lord's deliverance is the only thing that David truly depends upon. Whether in the pit or out of the pit or in the pit again. Notice how David travels in this psalm. He starts right at the bottom, doesn't he? Doesn't he? In the pit. And he calls on the Lord for deliverance. And he's raised up and he sings for joy. And then soon he's back down in the pit again. Calling upon the Lord for deliverance again. Is this not the Christian life in a nutshell? Time and time again, we experience the Lord's deliverance. And time and time again, we need it. We need Renewed strength. We need to stand strong against temptation. We need to we have wisdom to deal with the situations before us. We need healing. Where will we go for these things? Not the one who has provided before? John Flavel, at the end of his book, he encourages the reader to keep a diary of the Lord's providences upon their lives for reflection. He says that to read back and to remember them is of great worth in our devotion to God. He says, uh, he, paints, he paints this great picture. He says that if God's deliverances in our lives, they were like a beach, we're in a dinghy that is being pushed away by the tide 
and it keeps sailing further and further away. Further away from God in our memories, further away from God in our hearts, further away from God in our devotions. But to keep meditating upon these things is to keep rowing back towards that beach where we find real hope. David's confidence in the Lord, despite his circumstances, does not falter, and neither should ours. Now, what I'm not saying is that if tonight you renew your trust and you depend upon the Lord more today, he will deliver you. No, because that's not the point. Remember, this is not a deliverance from the pit, Sam, but primarily it's a deliverance in the pit, Sam. David's circumstances, they only changed temporarily. Who knows whether he was delivered from the second pit? And it's in that second pit that he cries, great is the Lord. Where does he get that confidence from? Because so often our confidence does falter, doesn't it? So often we cannot see out of the pit. We can't see how God could possibly pull us out. Maybe you're thinking tonight, well, that's very well for David, good for him. He's had this experience before, but how can I be sure that God would deliver me? Especially if this pit is of my own making, my own repetitive sinfulness. Or perhaps you're so far down in the darkness, in this pit, lost, stuck emotionally, physically, mentally, materially. Maybe you're so deep that you can't even say you've ever been out of the pit. Will he deliver me? Remember again, our hope does not rest on whether God will pull me out of this pit this time. And it didn't for David. His hope rested upon God and his character and his relationship with him. And that's the same for us. So on to the second point in our sheets. Our deepest assurance is in the Lord's ultimate deliverance. This is the answer to deliverance in the pit. Have a look at what David says in verses 6 to 8. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. David knows that these animal sacrifices, they'd never be enough to appease this holy and this gracious God. But his experience of the Lord's deliverance only leads him to an even greater realization, which is well beyond this time, a realization of a much bigger truth, that God doesn't desire animal sacrifices in response, but a different kind of sacrifice. And this is the kind of sacrifice that would ensure your ultimate deliverance. It's a sacrifice of the whole of self, wholehearted obedience, mind and soul, a devotion of the whole of life, That's what he means in verse 8, a delight in continuing on in the pursuit of the Lord's will. Well, what can we do and what can we say in thanks for the ways in which God has sustained us in this life? And even even if we can't see it right now, we must admit that he has. Well, there's nothing really we could do. Any of our efforts would be so inappropriate, they'd be so puny, just like the animal sacrifices were. But David knows that what the Lord desires 
is the thing that the animal sacrifices were supposed to represent. That is a wholehearted and a glad obedience. However, David fails at this. We know from his life he was a sinful man. We all fail at this. The one thing that God desires we cannot give him. Sin gets in the way. It's the tide that keeps pushing us away. Our iniquities are so many. We cannot give our our loving God what he wants. But here's what's so great about the gospel. How wonderful is this? Look at verses 7 and 8 again. Who can say that it, it is written of him that he delighted perfectly in the will of God? Who can say that they have perfectly accomplished the will of God? Who can say that in their heart lies the law of God? Jesus. In fact, that's so obvious that the writer to the Hebrews, he put these words in Jesus' mouth. Have a look with me at Hebrews chapter 10. That's on page 1006 of your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 4 to 10. That's page 1006. The writer says this, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And then he goes on to do a little commentary on it. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Jesus is the one in, whose will in obedience and submission to the Father made him the sacrifice that was to take away our sins once and for all and secure deliverance, ultimate deliverance. Did you notice the difference? In David's psalm, it's an ear that God gives David. But to Jesus, in verse 5, it's a body that God prepares for him. That body that God had prepared for him at the incarnation. That body in whose hands and feet at the cross are written, I have come to do God's will. The perfect sacrifice, the perfect attitude, the perfect life, the perfect obedience. We can know for sure that Jesus' act of deliverance substitutes our own feeble and sinful attempts at submitting to God's will. Sinful attempts that would only condemn us in the end. We know that God has delivered us. We know how he delivered us from sin and condemnation. He delivered us from this present passing age. He delivered us from these weak and fragile mortal bodies. We know how he did it. And we can trust in Jesus for it because he was the perfect sacrifice who submitted perfectly to God's will. How great is this? so great because perhaps you feel like you're in the pit right now and you haven't felt the warmth of God's deliverance for a long time. Perhaps 
you're ill. Relationships are difficult. You keep falling for the same sin over and over again. And God seems distant. You can't think of much to be thankful for. But here's something you can know for sure. That if you are a Christian, in the midst of the pits of destruction of this life, we can ask God expectantly to deliver us. And he can say, I have. Look at my son, the perfect, wholehearted, obedient sacrifice for your sins who achieved what you could never have done for yourselves. Do you see? As David says in the psalm, his thoughts are after us. His wondrous deeds are for us. He has not restrained his mercy from us. His steadfast love and faithfulness will preserve us. If only we broaden our vision beyond this life, beyond death, into an eternal perspective, we see so clearly how God has delivered us. He has not held anything back from you. All of his blessings are yours. And if you can't think back on a time in your life where you've seen the Lord's deliverance at work, think back 2,000 years ago and know what the Lord has done for you. Don't forget it. Know that his delivering hand has been at work in your life and has made you a Christian and has given you a hope beyond anything you could ever have imagined. Know that when he says he's steadfast and faithful, he means it. And the proof is at the cross. In Jesus lies the answer and the hope in the depths of the pit. As much as we might hope for God to deliver us here and now, this is much better. This lasts forever. So we depend on him because he has delivered us in the past. But our assurance lies upon something much more solid. And that is Jesus himself. And so we reach verse 16. And on to the last point in your sheets. Our desire is to tell of the Lord's deliverance. I have a good friend whose story really summarizes the heart of this psalm. Um, during his teenage years, a close friend of his committed suicide. And in response to this, he enveloped himself in the culture around him and he became dependent on alcohol. Yet, through the witness of a close Christian friend, he became a strong Christian. And over time, he overcame his alcohol addiction. Shortly after that, he was diagnosed with cancer. And many prayers were said on his behalf, and he was healed, though an amputation was necessary. Shortly after that, his mom was diagnosed with cancer. And recently, she died. Do you see the ups and downs? That's exactly what David experienced. I visited um, this friend recently. I spent some time with him. And it's amazing. All that flows from his lips are not grumblings or hatred or fear, but great is the Lord. I stand next to him at church. You can see it in his face as he sings, great is the Lord. How is that possible? Here's how. He has experienced the Lord's deliverance in this life. And he knows Jesus' perfect act of deliverance, of obedience to death on a cross, has 
secured his eternity. And it's obvious. His family, they're not Christians. Yet, they can't understand why or how he could still have faith, but they sure know that he does. He declares it. It's a natural progression. Look how many speaking words David uses. Verses 9 to 10, just for an example. I have told the glad news of deliverance in a great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. When we are recipients of such great mercy and such grace, when we know that we have been delivered from hell by the Savior who devoted perfectly in the way we never could have, when we know that not only does he secure our eternal salvation for us, but that today, in this life, his thoughts are after us, us poor and needy creatures, as David puts it in verse 17. If we know all that, how can we not declare his goodness and his deliverance to everyone around us? It should be obvious to your colleagues at work that the Lord has delivered you. It should be obvious to your family that the Lord has delivered you. It should be obvious to your friends that the Lord has delivered you. Not only to them, but to the brothers and sisters sitting around you. We are a body of people delivered from sin by a gracious Savior for eternity with Him. What else are we going to talk about? That's what we do as Christians in church, our small groups, cord, focus. This is what we do. We admit to one another our sins and our failures. We admit the pits of this life and we remind ourselves of Jesus. And we give thanks to God for his goodness and his deliverance. And so we can say, great is the Lord when things are going well and he has delivered us from the pit. Hallelujah, rejoice. And we can say, great is the Lord when things aren't going so well, even in the pit, because Jesus has ultimately delivered us and has ensured for us that when we look at God, he is pleased. When God looks at us, he is pleased and sees the perfect, wholehearted, obedient sacrifice that is Jesus' body and his life. Let's pray. Father, you are steadfast and you are faithful, and that is true. Don't let us forget that so easily. Help us to remember your deliverance towards us in our lives. But help us most of all to remember Jesus, the perfect sacrifice and the substitute for our sins. Lord, we thank you that when you, we called for deliverance, you answered. And we are saved for an eternity with you. And so we pray that we would know that to be true in whatever situations we might be in. May that refresh our souls. May that renew our confidence in our loving Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen.